All right. Hey, welcome. Good morning. Good morning to Discover Community Church out there. Glad that you guys are here. Um, welcome you to our first ever online, actually 1A, because we had a 9 a.m. service. Glad that you guys are here. Glad that you're joining us online. Um, this message, this whole service, uh, life, everything, nothing is normal. We're all trying to do the best that we can. So uh, first and foremost, again, thank you for joining us. Thank you for giving your time to be here. Some of you, first time ever uh, joining us at all as a church. We're glad that you're here. Uh, but I want to ask before we go any further, just ask for your grace. Ask for your grace and your forgiveness on any glitches, things like that, that maybe don't go perfectly. Um, we're all, everybody's trying to navigate through these things as best we can. Uh, a couple things really quick. If you have youth, I want you to have them go right now to the 612 Youth uh, Instagram page. So it's uh, Instagram at 612DCC. So at 612DCC, the youth are doing their own thing right now. Pastor Craig should be online right now. If you uh, have littles, if you either have nursery age kids or elementary school age kids, you can go to their Facebook group. So DCC Kids or Discover Littles, and you can go on there and check out what's happening there. The pastors are all putting things up there real time uh, for your kids to check out activities and things like that. So you're welcome to go over there. Uh, we're going to get going with our message here in just a second. Last service, uh, our first uh, live stream uh, venture here went pretty well. Uh, just an FYI, if you're having trouble with the feed, with the live stream, if it's glitching or catching, things like that, that is not on our end. That's actually on the server end, and I guarantee that they're scrambling right now trying to fix that. One thing you can do to help with it, though, is don't watch the service full screen. If you're having those issues, minimize your screen. Just watch a small box, and that should help with things. Um, also, if you're watching from the website and not directly through Facebook. So I know not everybody has Facebook, but if you're listening to us through the website and not through Facebook, you won't be able to comment. Other than that, if you're watching us directly through Facebook Live, love to hear your comments and, and those real-time things as we go along. So, um, again, that's just to kind of lay some groundwork. Let's get going. I'm assuming everybody's ready to go. Uh, if not, get ready. I'll give you a few minutes here to uh, go get your Bibles, get some communion supplies, because we're going to take communion together at the end of the service. Um, do a couple of groundwork things, get ready, get your screen. Now, if you have Facebook Live and you're doing this, if you also have Google Chromecast, then you should be able to Chromecast that up to your television and then have your device separately if you want. But anyway, let's get going. Again, glad that you guys are here. I want to give a quick shout out to Pastor Eric for his message last week. Seems like a million years ago, but he had a great message, his testimony uh, was just so encouraging to me, I know, and uh, I hope that you, I hope that y'all really enjoyed it. I love hearing our other pastors get a chance to to teach. We have so many good teachers here. Um, so I want to thank him for that. So much has changed since then, but here's the most important thing that has not changed. God's word. God's word and God's love for us hasn't changed a bit regardless of the circumstances. In fact, I want to jump right into some scripture right here. Isaiah 40, verse 8. You should have that on your screen right now. Isaiah 40, verse 8, in my version, which is the New American Standard Bible, reads like this. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. 
you can trust in that. You can trust that the word of God stands forever. It is unchanging. But what if you don't know what the word of God is? What if you don't trust that that word, you may believe that word, but what if you don't believe that it's for you? That's what we need to look about here, look at here. We're going to do that in just a few minutes. A few things before we actually get to the meat of the message. We're going to teach our way through Psalm 91 here today. But I want to let you know that we are, again, we're meeting uh, in an empty church here. There's myself and the worship team, Pastor Gabe, a couple uh, AV guys. Other than that, it's empty. We're at home uh, isolated the rest of the week just like you guys are. And so I know there are several of us, several of our body here at DCC that haven't been able to join us in person for quite a while for various reasons. Cheryl, I know you're out there. You're watching us here this morning. Uh, Jeannie and Milas. Milas just had some surgeries, I know, some things going on. George, I know, I hope you're probably out there. Lil and Enrique, uh, all of our friends over at Woolhurst, um, we're in the same boat as you guys now. Nobody can get out, so we're all doing this together, so feel at one with the body. Now, if you are watching us, respond to us real time. Comment as we go through to the message. Pastor Gabe is on the other end of those comments, and she will see them, and she will respond to them in real time as much as absolutely as possible, so we want you to do that. Now, we're, again, we're here, an empty church right now. We are complying with the president's request and then our governor's request. And regardless of what you think about our current leadership, know this. Scripture says that all authority is placed by God. So whether we want to reconcile that in different ways in our heart, we need to understand that God says all authority is placed by him, and therefore all authority can and will be used by him for his purposes. And if we rebel against that authority, then we're a part of the problem. We're not called to be a part of the problem. We are called to carry the very solution, right, church? So that's what we're doing. We're complying with those requests. Who knows how long this is going to last, but we're all pulling together, doing the best that we can right now. This epidemic, this thing that we're going through, is really not unprecedented. Throughout history, there have been different plagues and different afflictions that have come upon mankind, and God has always had the key to navigating life and the things that comes at us. Ecclesiastes chapter 1 verse 9, again my version, says that which has been is that which will be and that which has been done is that which will be done. So there is nothing new under the sun. So what does that mean? It's a whole bunch of churchy sounding uh, language and it kind of rhymes so that's cool but what really, what really does it mean? Here's what that boils down to. Nothing that has ever or will ever happen to us is a surprise to God. Isn't that comforting? I think that it is. There's nothing that develops. God isn't watching for breaking news. Excuse me. (coughs) Every time you cough in public now, people look at you like you are the outbreak monkey. So forgive me for that. It's just a tickle, dry throat, been talking. Our God is in control. Nothing catches him by surprise. No new development that we see is new to him. He has seen it all. And he has always, from the very beginning of time, had the answer 
to everything that comes our way. And so that's why it's more important now than ever that we understand that and we press into him. So this whole idea of shutting down churches even temporarily is not unprecedented. We've seen it all through history where churches have been discouraged. In fact, the early church had to be underground for fear of persecution by human beings, Roman persecution. So they hid out in houses. They gathered in small areas, but they were still the church, and they still flourished, and they were still able to bring life and bring the word of God to those who so desperately needed it. So the fact that we're not meeting together in person, yeah, we have to do things differently, but we don't stop being the church. In fact, more than ever, I think we need to be the church wherever we are, just in our own homes or if we go to the store, gas station, wherever we go. Those interactions, we have an opportunity, very, very short, but to speak life into a situation that is so chaotic. So I just hope and I pray that we take advantage of those resources every time that we can. When we talk about maybe more modern times of the church shutting down. We go back to uh, the early 1900s, 1918, the Spanish flu epidemic. Spanish flu epidemic was a horrendous thing. It killed many, many people. I'll tell you more about that here in just a minute. But the name itself, Spanish flu, is kind of misleading. A little background to that. It happened, again, 1918. What else was going on around 1918? World War I. There was a lot a lot of bad news out there, mostly related to uh, the war and de- various battles. And so most governments around the world were a part of this. And what they didn't want, they didn't want to spread bad news. They're doing everything they can to try and put a positive spin and keep their people encouraged in the midst of all this chaotic uh, wartime that was going on. And so they didn't want to talk about or really even address the fact that there was this epidemic going on. So the U.S. government, the British government, in fact, most governments around the world, they just didn't talk about this epidemic. It was happening all over the world. They didn't want to acknowledge it. They certainly didn't want to talk about the, the breadth of it and how actually many people were infected. The one government around the world that was willing to say, look, we need to not only address this, but be honest with people so that we can do something about it was the government of Spain. And so they came out, they published numbers of infections, numbers of deaths, and acknowledged that this was a thing happening in their country. And so it became known as the Spanish flu because everybody saw, uh, at least perceived, that this was kind of the origin of where that came from. Not accurate. It was happening all over the world. It was a global pandemic, just as is happening now. Now, much, much worse than what we're seeing now in terms of death, in terms of infections, and in terms of people that are, that are affected by it globally, was, many, was much, much higher than. And the reason, in part, is because it was a nastier virus, but also because they didn't have the education, they didn't have the ability to coordinate on a global scale the cures and the ways to mitigate the, the infection rates and things like that. So depending on how you uh, tabulate the numbers and their, their record keeping and things obviously much different than ours are now, but they estimate that somewhere around 500 million people globally were infected. Now that's a 1918 population, which has risen dramatically since then, so a much higher percentage even. 500 million conservatively 
were infected. And the death toll, again, conservatively, 100 million. Conservatively, 100 million people died from the Spanish flu. It was a terrible thing that happened, but it did have an end. And it ended in part because people exercised wisdom, sometimes against their will, but they exercised wisdom in mitigating the spread of this. So in Washington, D.C. alone, they closed schools, kind of like they're doing now. Store hours were limited. Uh, Gatherings in parks and public places were limited. Um, Churches were asked not to meet. And this is what I want to talk about right now. Churches were asked not to meet, and many of them complied immediately, but many of them were defiant. And they said, no, we're going to continue to meet. In fact, uh, I won't go too deeply into it, but they actually held a parade in Washington, D.C., sort of in defiance of this. Unfortunately, several weeks later, they were able to trace about 4,500 deaths to participants in that parade because they defied orders to spread out and quarantine yourselves. We're not doing that. By complying with those orders, that church closure, that portion of that outbreak back in in 1918, only lasted about 30 days from the time they ordered churches closed to the time they allowed them to meet again. was about 30 days. I'm not saying this is going to be a parallel to that. It may be more, it may be less. Um, But things always have an end because we serve a God who is in charge and who is sovereign. So to go one further in that step, that whole defiant attitude sometimes comes from the fact that some of us think, now I say some of us because I don't fall into this category necessarily, but many, many of my friends do, and some well-meaning people are putting these things out there on social media, that this pandemic is a punishment from God. God is punishing those people who are sinful, especially when you point to what many people consider the epicenter of this outbreak being in China. God is punishing the Chinese people because of their disbelief in him, because of many reasons. You name the reasons. God is punishing them and then, by extension, punishing the rest of us who catch it. There are also those who are saying that this is the beginning of the end. Biblically, they're saying, okay, this, this is the start, the signs of the plagues and the things that are coming our way that we read about in the book of Revelation. Well, I want to let you know that's not true, okay? I'm going to talk about that in a minute. But if you're in either that camp who's thinking that it's a punishment from God or it's the beginning of the end, you are both right and wrong on both of those assumptions. We're going to talk about it here in a minute. But Jesus, whenever we look at the solution to things like this. Whenever things like this come our way, my go-to, and I hope yours is, is that I always look to see how Jesus reacted because Jesus walked this earth in the flesh. He experienced every emotion, every hurt, every experience that we could go through. He experienced that to be our example so that we could see how to navigate these things. And so I immediately try to turn, how did Jesus handle this? And I want to tell you a little story. Jesus taught, when he was walking the earth and teaching publicly, he taught at a time where the assumption was, if something happened to you, um, especially something that took your life out of the ordinary, in other words, out of just a quiet death by old age, if you were killed in an accident, if 
you caught a disease, something like this. The assumption was you had sinned and God was punishing you. You had or your father had or somebody in your family had done something wrong and therefore you were being punished. And this was universal, whether you were a follower of Jesus or whether you were a Jew or whether you believed in one of the the pantheon of gods that were out there at the time. No matter who you chose to follow, the assumption was you had done something wrong and you were being punished if you died in this unusual way. So this is the climate that Jesus was teaching in. So, a little bit of Bible trivia. So those of you out there, no Googling this, okay? Who has heard in Scripture of the Tower of Siloam? Tower of Siloam. I know I have some scholars here on a weekly basis who I know that would have the answer already, John West, but the Tower of Siloam, not many people know about it, but it's actually mentioned in a couple places in Scripture. The Tower of Siloam is a structure. We don't know an awful lot about it, But it's a structure inside the walls of Jerusalem, inside the walls of Jerusalem, in an area or a neighborhood called the neighborhood of Siloam. The neighborhood of Siloam actually had a natural spring that was in that area. Again, inside the walls, southern end of Jerusalem. This is the scene in in John 9 where Jesus heals the blind man by putting the mud in his eyes. That actually takes place in that area. So it's, it's actually mentioned in there as well. But there was a project going on. We assume a construction project probably for an aqueduct to carry this spring water elsewhere in Jerusalem and, and wherever it was needed. And this tower that was holding up this aqueduct collapsed, the Tower of Siloam. It collapsed and it killed about 18 people. Not about, exactly 18, because it's actually documented here in Scripture. Um, So we see that happening. This is kind of the scene for a little-known teaching from Luke. This is Luke chapter 13, an often overlooked and sometimes little-known teaching of Jesus himself about repentance and how that's linked to God's judgment. So I want to talk about that. So setting the scene again, this, this had happened. Um, in the past, that's something that was known at the time, very recently to what we're about to talk about. But then some disciples come, and they're telling Jesus about a story. They're telling Jesus basically breaking news at the time that Pilate had just murdered a whole bunch of Galileans who had come into the temple to offer sacrifice and to worship. And Pilate had killed them. We don't know exactly why. Probably he was just irritated at the, the uh, commotion they were making, the disruption, and he didn't like that. So what he did is he killed them, and Scripture says he actually took their blood and mixed it with the blood of their sacrifice at the temple, thereby, thereby completely defiling the temple. This was a terrible thing, and the disciples were telling Jesus about this to see his reaction. And I think his reaction was probably not what they expected it to be. We pick this up in Luke chapter 13, verses 1 through 4. I'll just read this to you in my version, but you can follow along. Luke 13, verses 1 through 4. It says, Now on the same occasion, there were some present who reported to him, him being Jesus, about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. And Jesus said to them, Do you suppose that these Galileans were greater sinners than all other Galileans? Because they suffered this fate? 
I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Or do you suppose that those 18 on whom the Tower of Siloam fell and killed them were worse culprits than all the men who live in Jerusalem? And then the last verse, verse 5, he ends with this admonition. We have this on screen, I think. I tell you, no, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. So yes, we live in a fallen time. We live in a fallen world where there are consequences for sin, both individual and as a people. There are consequences for our sin. And no, we are no better as Jesus is teaching. Just because this terrible thing originated somewhere else or is happening somewhere else doesn't mean that our sin is any less or that we're no better than those people who are suffering the hardest. So don't allow your heart to go to a place where you're thinking that your neighbor or your friend or an entire nation or people group where something like this originates Somehow or another, they are paying the price for their sin because we have all sinned and we all fall short of the glory of God. And Jesus is teaching this very clearly. Unless we repent, we will all perish. So yes. And then again, no, this is not the end times. This is not the end of things. This is another thing that befalls man in our history of mankind. Here's what I know. When God uses plagues and when he uses various things to come upon and correct people, when he does that, there is no question that it is God doing it. We will never be left to say, I wonder if, or debate this. He will make sure that if you are being corrected, you will know that it is him. So I know that that's not the case. But taking that all into account, we are not, as a church, giving in to the world by not meeting. We are exercising caution, wisdom, and we are listening to and obeying the leadership that God has placed above us, okay? So that's why we're here. That's why we're meeting in an empty room. That's why you are at home with your families watching us online. So let's get into this. Before, Actually, before we get started, I want to do this. I want to give you a few moments um, to grab your Bibles, because we're going to try and be interactive here. So grab your Bibles, paper Bible if you can. Let's pull out the old school paper Bibles. Grab your communion supplies. That can be some bagels out of the fridge. That can be a piece of toast. That can be, it can be a piece of pizza from leftover from last night. Whatever you like, and then something, um, something that represents the blood of Christ. It's not critical what it is, but let's have that. Let's have it ready, and at the end of service, we'll take communion together. And then lastly, for goodness sake, those of you, I know you're at home and nobody's around, put on some pants. It's church. Put on some pants for us. Hey, let's take about 30 seconds. I'm going to give you some time to run around, grab those things, and we'll be right back. Music. Hopefully you've got all those things. 
Um, and we're going to get into this. We are also, in addition to our, obviously, our streaming here, we're providing some extra things to try and make this experience and this time better for you. And our, and our hope really is, is that out of this, we'll even be a stronger church and a better church altogether. So here are just a few other things that we're providing to help you kind of get through this. And our hope, again, is that we'll continue on with this. Number one, the notes for this message and all of our messages are on version. That's an app that you can find on any platform, and it's called the Bible app. And, uh, and look for version, the version notes, and you can catch our notes through there. There's also an, a function on there. You'll see it if you scroll down a little bit on the homepage of version, uh, for It's called a prayer list. And you can put your own prayers in there. You can start your own list or join one that's in there. And the idea is that we are all corporately together praying for these various things. Now, again, you can create your own, or if you're not quite tech-savvy enough to create your own, you can email us, info at discovercommunity.church. Pastor Gabe will get that, and she'll kind of send you the instructions and sort of help you about doing that. Or you can simply just give her your requests, and she'll post them on there for you. Um, So we can do that. Uh, The other thing that we're offering... We have a free trial for 60 days, and we're offering that to anybody who is interested in it. It's called the Dwell Dwell Bible app. And what it is, it's an audio Bible app where you can listen to the Bible. There's reading plans on there, individual scriptures. Pastor Gabe the other night actually fell asleep listening to scripture. It's not a robotic voice. It's not Alexa, and it's not Siri's voice speaking to you. It's actually very well done and, and very nice voice. You can actually choose the voice that you want to listen to it through. It is a 60-day free trial. We're providing that to you. The way to get it is to email us, again, info, I-N-F-O, at discovercommunity.church, and Pastor Gabe will send you the invitation to it. Click on that, and you'll have it. Now, if you take advantage of that, please let us know if you like it, because if you like it after 60 days, we will continue then to provide that uh, for free to everybody who wants it. We're obviously stepping up our ability to serve the community. There are so many who can't get out, who can't get food, who can't go shopping, uh, those who have just always needed it, and those who suddenly now find themselves in a place uh, of, of some need like that. So we're stepping up our food pantry services in terms of delivery. Today alone, we've got 18 deliveries right after service. Pastor Gabe, myself, and a few volunteers are going to go out into the community and deliver supplies and groceries to people uh, in our community. If you need to take advantage of that, again, just email us, info at discovercommunity.church. Let us know of your need and we'll do that. Last week, I spent, uh, we spent some time clearing out our room to make room for, um, for more food pantry items. I took a trip. Show that picture. If you can see it, I don't know how well it translates online. That's the back of my Subaru, my poor little Subaru, packed to the gills with food that I got from Food Bank of the Rockies. That is food that we've already stocked, and we're getting ready then to deliver it out today. You can go ahead and drop that Here's the thing, though, right after that pickup, Food Bank of the Rockies let me know that they are curtailing a lot of the individual partner agencies, of which we're one, pickups, and so we're going to have to rely on your donations. So if you have some canned goods, some anything like that that's appropriate to get out to the community, bring it by the church. Let us know you're going to bring it by so that we're here to receive it. And we would love to have those donations. Again, canned goods, non-perishable things that we can then give out to the community. We'll take all that. Um, 
for this whole process, serving our community and even upping that service and doing live streams and the Bible apps and the things that we're doing, we need you. We need your participation. If this is going to be effective, and frankly, if DCC and many other churches are going to survive at all, they need you to continue to engage. So whatever your home church is, whether it's us or anybody else, continue to give to that church. Continue to engage in the things they do. Follow them on Facebook. Comment. Interact with them. Let's keep that sense of community going. But here's some specific things, okay? Engage with us on this video by commenting as we go. Your comments, we see those real time, and Pastor Gabe will respond to them. If you have questions or anything that are appropriate for me, she's even going to write them on the board. Let me know. And I'll answer those questions real time during the message here. We have a lot of visitors, a lot of people that are going to be listening to us for the first time ever. If that's you, right now, in the comments, you can type the word connect. Just simply type the word connect. We'll respond back by direct message. And, and we'll do that at some point today. But we'll do it today. One of our pastors will get back to you. Because we want to know what you think about it. We want to know if you have any questions about us, but more importantly, we want you to know that you matter to us. So we call that a digital or a virtual connect card. So do that for us if you can. Um, then secondly, engage, engage with our online. That'd be called engaging. I just invented a word. Engage with our online Bible studies. Pastor Gabe is doing uh, through the Zoom video conferencing act, uh, app she is doing a women's Bible study. Right now, it's just the women. You can find out about that uh, with women at DCC, right? Women at DCC. Connect with it through there and just do an online Bible study. It worked very well last week, so we're looking forward to more of that. Watch our website, discovercommunity.church, for the pastor's blog. It's right there on the homepage. We're updating that daily with any new information on service times or anything that's pertinent to us. Um, please continue to give. Or some of you maybe have been a part of this church, but you have never given. I want to encourage you maybe to give for the first time. We try to make it easy. On the Facebook page, if you're watching us through Facebook, on the home page of our group is a donate button. You won't see it when you're on the live stream, but there's a donate button right there. doesn't cost anything for us. There's no processing fees, anything. Facebook has waived all that stuff for us, but you can give very easily through there. You can text to give by texting the amount that you want to give to 84321. It'll just walk you through a few steps to confirm, and you can do it that way. You can do recurring giving online. I encourage you to do that if you've never done that. All these things allow us to not only survive as a church, but continue to then budget how much we can allocate of our resources towards outreach towards serving our community. Our heart has always been to give the absolute most of our resources to the community, give it back and serve our community. So an, a, a consistent stream of giving and a faithfulness on your part allows us to continue to do that. So I want to encourage you to do that. So, all right, in, in all these uncertain times, again, I know this for certain, I know this for sure, everybody is suffering. Everybody is suffering. Everybody is going through something. Everybody is struggling with something that you may not understand. Ramifications and different complications of this virus, losing jobs or, or health of friends or relatives, 
These kind of things are something that we can never, ever understand unless we're in their shoes. And we're called by God specifically not to judge. And I want to ask you now more than ever as a church, let's be the church and let's not share the judgment of God. Let's not share what our perception of right and wrong and judgment is. Let's share grace and mercy and the love of Christ in the neighborhood to a people who desperately needs it. Amen. I hope you join me in that. I know this, last time I was at Costco, and probably if you've been to the grocery store, you've seen empty shelves, there's no toilet paper, hand sanitizer, all these things are just flying off the shelves, and you can't even get them. That's panic buying. We see panic buying anytime that there's some sort of a disaster. Typically, it's a disaster that's beyond our control. So earthquakes, um, storms, snowstorms, things like that, we see panic buying happening, and it's all out of our human need to control something. Obviously, it's a perception of control, and really we aren't controlling anything, but we feel good when we're taking active steps to try and control or to try and mitigate some damage. So we do that out of our desire to control something, but here's what I know. Fear comes our way out of the devil's desire to control you. So if you're doing all these things out of fear, Know that the enemy is at work in your life, and he is trying to get you spun up to where you believe that relying on the world and worldly remedies is going to somehow be the answer to this. Now, again, we do need to exercise wisdom. I am not against wisdom in all of its forms. But we combat fear with the truth. We combat fear with the truth who is Jesus and his power. John 14, verse 6, Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. We have that assurance that Jesus himself is the truth. So to combat fear in times like this, we need Jesus and we need to know him more than ever before. And he is found not only in the New Testament scriptures that that testify specifically about him, but in the Old Testament as well. And that is the crux of the series that we're in right now. Prophecies and Promises, which is all about Old Testament Scripture talking about a coming Messiah. That's so important for us to understand because in times like this, it helps us to know that God has always been in control. Always. And all the way through the very first word of the Bible, all the way to the last, Jesus is the central figure of this Bible. So that's why it's important to understand he's not just a character. He's the point of the whole entirety of Scripture. And if we don't understand that, we're going to miss a lot of what God has for us. So let's get to this week's message. I know um, I've taken a lot of time to kind of lay some groundwork here. But in light of current events, I think it's important. Let's go back and let's look at a Scripture that was written about 3,500 years ago. 3,500 years years ago, and it's Psalm 91. Psalm 91 is really commonly read in times where there's turmoil and disaster and things like this because it gives us so much hope, and that's what we're going to look at right now. Now, the author of Psalm 91 is kind of debated. It's uh, traditionally ascribed to Moses. Some people think it might have been somebody else. I believe it's Moses given the um, given the circumstances and the things that are going on, it definitely points towards Moses. At about the time when they are wandering the desert and Moses has, has erected the tabernacle in the desert, okay? 
because this is a psalm of God's protection. His protection, um, his, his goodness, and mostly his rescue from destruction. Okay, so Psalm 91. Here's what's going to happen. If you've got your Bible, okay, follow along with me. Psalm 91, it's 16 verses. Again, I'm using the New American Standard, so it might read a little bit differently than yours, but follow along with me here. Listen as we go for the promises of God throughout. All right. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. For it is he who delivers you from the snare of the trapper and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his pinions, and under his wings you may seek refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and a bulwark. You will not be afraid of the terror by night or of the arrow that flies by day of the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, or of the destruction that lays waste at noon. A thousand may fall at your side and ten thousand at your right hand, but it shall not approach you. You will only look on with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked. For you have made the Lord my refuge, even the Most High your dwelling place. No evil will befall you, nor will any plague come near your tent. For he will give his angels charge concerning you to guard you in all your ways. They will bury you up in their hands that you do not strike your foot against a stone. You will tread upon the lion and the cobra and the young lion and the serpent you will trample down. Because he has loved me, therefore I will deliver him. I will set him securely on high because he has known my name. He will call upon me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. With a long life, I will satisfy him and let him see my salvation. Mm. I love that. Did you catch as we went through, did you catch all the promises? Did you catch all the promises that are in here? Let's look at these. If you have your Bible, grab it. Let's go back to verse 1 and let's, let's look through at the promises. If you dwell in the shelter of the Most High, okay, the Lord God is your refuge and your fortress. You can trust in him. He will deliver you from the snare of the trapper and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his wings and you can seek refuge there. He is faithful. His faithfulness is a shield. You won't be afraid of terror by night or of the arrow that flies by day, of the pestilence that stalks in the darkness or the destruction that lays waste at noon. We don't need to fear those things. And though a thousand may fall at your side and ten thousand at your right hand, it won't approach you. You'll only look on with your eyes. For if you, you have made the Lord my refuge, even the most high your dwelling place, no evil will befall you, nor any plague come near your tent. He will give his angels charge concerning you. Think about that. Angels guarding you. That's their job is to guard you in all your ways. They'll bear you up in their hands that you don't strike your foot against a stone. You'll tread upon the lion and the cobra. You'll trample down the lion and the serpent. He loves you. He will deliver you. He has set you securely on high. When you call on him, he will answer you. I love that. When you call on him, he will answer you. He'll be with you in times of trouble. He will rescue you. He will honor you. With a long life, he will satisfy you, and he will let you see his salvation. 
So many promises from God. Now, we see all those promises. You read and you see all those things. Who are those promises for? Remember, we go back to verse 1, Psalm 91.1. On screen, look at it together. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. So what does that mean? What does it mean to dwell in the shelter? To dwell in the shelter, that word dwell is actually a Hebrew word, yashab, and that means to occupy and settle permanently. That doesn't mean occasionally or when you feel the need or even during a storm. Permanently. That means if you live in the shelter of the Lord Most High, you've made that your dwelling place. You live there. It's how you live your life. Then all these promises apply to you. It's no coincidence if we look at that, Psalm 91.1 is designated as 9-1-1. This is the comfort we can turn to when life has, has us running. So the question is, do you live in the shelter of the God Most High or do you just go there when trouble's coming? When you see the storm on the horizon, do you run to him or do you make that your dwelling place? That's the question. The Israelites that heard this at first, they would not have necessarily understood it completely because they could not dwell permanently in God's presence. They were near God's presence in the tabernacle. They would follow it around, so they were close to it, but only a very select few could even enter it, much less live there full time. They were not reconciled to God yet through Jesus. That wouldn't happen for another 1,500 years for them. But we know it. We know it because we have been reconciled to God through Christ, and so we can dwell, live in the shelter of the Most High. Now, this series, as I said, is all about Jesus found in the Old Testament. So where's Jesus in this? Talks about God a lot. The Most High, where's Jesus? Other than Jesus is God and that whole Trinity thing, which we'll talk about later. Um, Another message. We could do all kinds of exegesis on this and find out how this points to Jesus Christ as our Messiah. However, I want to boil it all the way down to the most simple thing that we can look at. How do we know Psalm 91 talks about Jesus? We know that because Satan knew it. We know that because Satan knew it, and Satan tried to use this very verse against Jesus. Remember this, Psalm 91, 11 and 12, part of what we just read, for he will give his angels charge concerning you to guard you in all your ways, They will bear you up in their hands that you do not strike your foot against a stone. Now, when we see Jesus being tempted in the wilderness by Satan, this is recorded in Matthew 4, verses 5 and 6. He quotes this psalm. Then the devil took him into the holy city and had him stand, him being Jesus, stand on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, He will command his angels concerning you. And on their hands they will bear you up so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Satan is trying to use this very scripture against Jesus. And Jesus was very, very secure in who he was. He knew that he was the son of God. And so he was immediately able to refute Satan and stand against this lie. The problem is many of us are not secure 
in our status as sons and daughters of the God Most High. We can be shaken. We can sometimes doubt that scripture is great, but does it apply to me? Am I too bad? Am I too broken? Satan wants you to doubt that these promises are for you, that you're somehow too broken or worse than someone else, someone more deserving than you. Jesus came to reconcile us to the Father so that we could forever dwell in his shelter. Not something we visit every now and then. Not breaking, break the glass in case of an emergency. We could literally dwell in that shelter. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 to 19 says this. Follow along in your Bible. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. Now all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Worship team, you guys can go ahead and head on up. So going all the way back to Jesus' teaching in Luke about the Tower of Siloam, and the poor Galileans who were murdered by Pilate. No one group is being punished more than any other. We all fall short of the glory of God. But Jesus came to reconcile us to the Father. He bore our sins so that we are made clean in the eyes of the Father and we can dwell in his shelter. So if today, if you're here and you're finding yourself fearful I want to ask you a question. Are you living full-time? Have you made your residence in the shelter of the God Most High? Or are you like many in the world who live your life day-to-day, just like everyone else, and then when times are hard, then you run into that shelter? There's value of being in the shelter in a storm, but there's even more value in living there because we have that promise. So put another way, let me put it another way. How many of you a couple months ago wished that you could have foreseen the need for hand sanitizer and for Clorox wipes and for toilet paper? Even 30 days ago, do you wish you could have known that the need was coming? Here's the thing we need to know, though. God knew this was coming. Things catch us by surprise all the time. And we can second guess whether we should have seen the signs. Guess what? God knew all the time. And if we read his manual, we would know. And we would know how to deal with these things. Not when they're coming, not exactly what's going to happen, but we would know what our response is. And our response is to run to him. The creator of the heavens and earth has foreseen our need for Jesus. And he sent his son to die for you so that you could be reconciled to him. You don't need to be outside in the storm waiting for the right time to come in or waiting for an invitation. He made that invitation a long time ago, and the thing is, most of us run from it. One reason or another, I'll stand out here in the storm until I decide. We'll know that he's inviting you in, and he has always been inviting you in. Our human nature is to say, I can handle this until we can't. 
but his invitation is the same. Whether you came to him as a child or whether you're right now in this moment saying, I've had it. There's too much chaos and too much turmoil in the world and I need something I can count on. He invites you to count on him right now. So if you don't know him, if you have never known the Lord, you have never given your heart to Jesus Christ, you can do it right now. It's easy to say the words, it's harder to do. Here's what scripture says, Romans 10, 9, that if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, you are saved. It's not a whole bunch of things we have to do. In essence, stop running. Stop denying the hand that's reaching out to you to pull you to safety, to pull you into his shelter, and simply say yes. We all have that opportunity every day. And I invite you to take that opportunity now. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we just thank you, Lord God, that you are so good, that you are unchanging. No matter the storm that comes our way, it's this thing today. It'll be another thing in another season because all throughout history, it has always been something. But the one thing that has never changed is you. You are good and you love us. And Father, my prayer is that we would take everything that comes our way, the good and the bad, and we would know that you are in charge. You are in charge. And first and foremost, you love us. You love us so much that you sent your son for us. So we don't have anything to fear. Just because we don't understand and we don't know, you know. And you understand because you are the author of everything. So Father, we thank you for your love and your grace and your mercy. And we call upon you now to just fill us with that supernatural peace that abundance of joy that can only come through the Holy Spirit. Father, we thank you for who you are. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. So if you gathered your communion supplies, let's take communion together at this point. We have the small cups here. We might try and figure out a way to get those out to you sometime next week. But from Luke 22, it documents this, Jesus it says, and he took the bread and gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So if you have your bread or pizza or a bagel or whatever you have, just take this in remembrance of Jesus. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup saying, this is cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. So whatever you have representing the blood of Christ, let's take it together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your goodness and your grace and your mercy. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, church. Place to lie in.
need to 